we said, maybe just getting out of routine on her own would feel good. Yeah. She, again, she did not pay me to say this, but... No, it's a great suggestion. I'm also thinking about just like, maybe you need to come and then to the event. And then this way, when we do go to Disney, you can go with the kids. <laughs> and then Mel and I will do what Sarabi's doing. We'll have some time. I, what are your I, do, I do Disney well. I, I do Disney yeah. really well. So yeah, I, I'm willing to, to work that deal too. <laughs> okay, let, let me put some thought to that one. This is taking like our podcast to a whole new level. <laughs> this is like life planning, right? Welcome to the Clinician Life Podcast. I'm Emma Jack, and I'm joined by my co-host, Daryl Yardley. And together, we're on a mission to help you elevate your practice to new heights. Join us each week as we bring you invaluable insights from some of the world's leading clinicians. From staying ahead of industry trends to crafting your dream career and life, we've got you covered. Get set to unlock your full potential. Here we go. But yeah. also, let's start with um, how my name is pronounced is Surabi. Back when you knew me, Daryl, in physio school, I just wouldn't correct people who said my name wrong. So I now I do. <laughs> no, then that's good. And you know what? I've been actually practicing that and I still screwed it up because I was on your Instagram, you know, watching and doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, I, and you had that one video that you explain. Yeah. Quite simply. And I still fucked it up. I know it's, it's so just think Surabi. So it's instead of Surabi, it's like, so rub, like rub your shoulder or yeah. run like that, that sound. Um, any Indian name that has an A, it's usually not pronounced ah, it's like pronounced uh, so. I love that. I love that. There. And I want to acknowledge you for what that has done for so many other people in terms of owning their name and the pronunciation and that people can pronounce their names. I, I just have seen so many people and I've actually, you know, spoken to a lot of clients about how you have um, no way ownership on nice. that and then had them check out your website and your oh, that's video awesome. because I, I, that is so important. And I think that's something I always keep top of mind too for physio clientele um, and, and any, let's be real any relationship building any relationship <laughs> really well, like, the first thing you know is someone's energy. name right yeah. and it's like even even for me like i don't have a like, simple north american name and somebody will come to me with uh, an asian name or uh, any any other cultural name mm-hmm. and they'll be like no no you can just call me like alice and i'm like no no like yeah. You would think that if I had a name like Anne, they would say that. But I'm like, my name is Sotheby. Like, I, I got you. Like, I can, <laughs> I can learn your name. Um, but it's just people are so used to, and I think it comes to more women do this, and it's like the people pleasing tendencies yeah. and the like. Oh, I don't want to draw attention, or like, oh, I don't want to be that person. But what I have learned is like people are happy to just say your name properly, yes, if they know what it is, and. Sometimes it's, you have to say it a few times because they're not familiar with how to say it. Um, And it goes back to like, it ties into everything. Like when you're advocating for healthcare, if your doctor isn't listening to you, you might have to advocate a few times, but like, if you never speak up about what you need or what you want, you never get what you want. So, you know, speaking up is uncomfortable, but often necessary. So important and so important to be able and have the humility to get it wrong. Like Daryl. Yeah. Yeah, well, you're we got it wrong. I mean, we literally got it wrong for years. I've I've known you for I don't know how how many. I don't know many years, <laughs> many yeah. years, and and that's it's like it's okay to get it wrong, and keep trying and acknowledge and move forward with with um, the lessons there. Yeah, yeah, and you know what's interesting too is that there was a there was a another PT that I was coaching for literally 18 months and not even did I like just mispronounce it. It was like, like, it was like, I was calling her Alice <laughs> and I said totally to her, like, why did it take you 18 months to correct me? And she's like, Oh, I just didn't really want to offend you. And I was like, you wouldn't have offended me. I feel terrible right now. And no different. And I actually had this really important question for you. Now that I'm thinking about this is Here's my terrible like interview start. I'm probably going to butcher your name. How do I best pronounce it? That is not the way that I should ask people that. Mm-hmm. So what is the best way to approach when you get that new intake? Yeah. And you're like, oh my goodness. What? So I ask I almost every single patient, how do I say your name properly? 
Ah, like everybody. Everyone. Because you know what? There was like, a, there was a patient named Andrea. That's how I would have said Andrea, mm-hmm. but it was Andrea. Mm-hmm. It wasn't Andrea. It was Andrea. And so like even the simplest sounding names have different pronunciations or like Rachel with an E at the end. So I was like, oh, Rochelle. She's like, no, it's just Rachel. My parents were, you know, they just put an E there. So it's like, I don't want to single people out and be like, oh, your name is going to be hard. Your name is going to be easy. I just say, how do I say your name properly? And I do that even like even in my podcast interviews, because some people's last names, I'm like, I just want to make sure I'm saying it right. And people appreciate that. They're usually um, less likely to feel weird about it rather than if you say, oh, I'm going to butcher it. Because then you're also, it's like when you try something and you're like, oh, it's going to be so hard. Well, it probably will be hard. But if you're like, okay, I can just ask. And that way too, I find it's important to ask first. So you don't have the wrong name in your head to start with, because once it's wrong in your head, you've almost learned it that way. And then it's harder to change um, than if you just start off asking. Yeah. Oh, so good. Let's loop back though. Like I would love just in your own words, because from where we met to how you are showing up in the world and how you are serving as a PT and outside of PT has absolutely transformed. I would love you to tell the people listening what it is you do in the world and how you show up and serve. Um, thank you. I so I'm Surabi Veach. I'm a physiotherapist by profession. I'm also a fitness coach. Um, and I work largely right now in the pregnancy postpartum space, helping people feel strong, energetic, and confident in their bodies from the inside out. So my focus is more on the coaching approach, on lifestyle coaching, helping people feel good. Um, not from just an exercise or movement or mobilization perspective, but how do you actually change your symptoms? Because frankly speaking, we're all stressed. We're sitting too much. Um, we have likely someone has trauma somewhere along the way, especially if they're coming for pelvic floor physiotherapy. And I want to hold a space where people feel open enough to share um, or safe enough to share. And that in that is necessary for me because if they feel safe enough to share what's going on early on in the treatment plan, I can actually treat them better. So I work both virtually and in person. For the past three years, I did only virtual. And then this September, I added back in in in-person care. A great opportunity came up at the local midwife clinic. And they're like, we have a room. Would you be interested? I'm like, yes, because I already work with them. They already refer their clients to me anyway. And I wanted to provide um, a service where I serve my community. So that's what I do now. I do in-person and online physiotherapy. Coaching is worldwide, physiotherapy for Ontarians. Um, and yeah, I include a lot of coaching, mindset coaching as well. Um, this is stuff we never learned in physio school. So I feel like this is stuff that I have picked up through my own experience, mentors, coaching, groups that I've been part of. And a big part of what I do is also culturally sensitive care. Um, because when you've been to see different therapists, you realize that that is something that people either do or don't. And if they're not intentionally doing it, they're not doing it. Right. So if you're not intentionally making your space inclusive for people of different cultures, um, ages, sizes, then you're likely only catering to the dominant culture or, um, you know, heterosexual, cisgender, like all of those norms or those, um, yeah, dominant cultural kind of qualities. So for me, it's really important to try. I don't even say I do inclusive care because I feel like that doesn't, that shouldn't come from me. That should come from my clients. My clients should be like, oh, that's how they should feel, right? I'm not going to be like, look how inclusive I am. It's more, I'm trying to create an environment that people feel safe to enter regardless of who they are. So then I think I've done a pretty good job of that. I think you've done a brilliant job of that. And I know looking at the three of us, I know our like educational backgrounds you know, are very similar in terms of we first connected like it's through true. the MCLSC program at Western and Daryl's hook as well. And we sort of all have- And Daryl, you went to U of T as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we did U of T together, like, but I mean, not at the same time, but we mm-hmm. have our master's of physiotherapy from the same schools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something that like really sticks out to me is how, you know, we all did our F camp and did that program. 
And something I really hold about that program, and we've talked about the program a little bit on here already, is that it does as much as, you know, yes, we got some more hands-on skills. I think something that I'm seeing now is how much it cultivates leadership. Yes. In the field and confidence to do it your way. Um, And that's something I really see that you've built. You're sort of doing what you wish existed in the world for others. Exactly. Because a lot of the times too, like, especially again, coming back to culture, I don't see a lot of brown women doing this. And so if you're sitting around waiting for someone else to do it, so it feels more comfortable for you to enter the space, you might be waiting a long time. And so I just realized like, I have to take the initiative to do what I want to do as uncomfortable as it is. Would it be more comfortable if there were more people who looked like me or had my backgrounds? Of course, because I wouldn't feel like I had to explain some, you know, certain things. I would just feel like, okay, you get it. You get my perspective. But from me entering the space, I have seen other more and more people from uh, immigrant cultures, black and brown people entering the space and even coming to me for mentorship because they've seen me do it, continue to do it. And they're like, how do you have the courage? How do you enter the space? How do you do what you do? And um, that's for me, mentoring is like so important to me because, you know, whatever lessons you learn, share it with others. There's no point holding it all into yourself. I know you both do mentorship and coaching as well, which I think is amazing. Um, but yeah, the MCLSC program at Western was more than the mobilizations and the manipulations, which like, okay, I barely use now. Um, it was the leadership skills, especially in the virtual (laughs) virtual space, but it was the clinical reasoning too. And the problem solving like that was, they like nailed that down. Right. And so you have to be a creative thinker. You have to problem solve if like, you know, plan A doesn't work, what's going to work. Um, and yeah, at first I was like, oh my gosh, I wasted my time doing that program. I don't don't even mobilize and manipulate anybody anymore. Um, and now I'm like, okay, that program was very, very useful. And the connections that we made through the program too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the key thing though, is that what I think we're proving is like the three of us would do that program all over again. Right. I think it's just Absolutely. when people are going for like to learn a new tactic or a new skill, you're missing the bigger picture. Yeah. Right. Like you know, so again, choose whatever educational pathway you want. That's the one we had gone down. And I agree, Emma, like, I know so many leaders that have come out of that, you know, when you really think about it, it's like, yes, it's clinical reasoning, but if you put it to the real world, it's problem solving, it's collaboration, right? It's learning how to network with people that you didn't even know before, right? And then you spend time with people and you're like, oh, I don't really like the way that you chew, but I love the <laughs> that we work on this like day in and day out. Right. So, so I think that's, you know, such an important thing. And, and Emma, honestly, like we didn't, we're not choosing people to come onto the podcast that did the MCLSC because oh. <laughs> we're getting to promote the program, but maybe we should be, but on the flip side of that, it just happens that these are the individuals that have commonality and it was just a path that we chose. Right. And I wouldn't say, and maybe just from a perspective of U of T, would you say you're influenced by any means to like go down that pathway because of who taught us? Like Eason Young had a big influence on me, but I wouldn't say that was the reason I chose the MCLSC. It wasn't. It wasn't. For me, I was doing the level courses and they were sporadic and they weren't like, there was no guarantee you could do the next level. And for for me, I learned really well in a intensive space, like where you're just immersed and you're doing it and you're surrounded by people doing it. So that was something that really attracted me. And also, I think we were people who we graduated, we did what we did, and then we're like, we want more. And I might have entered the program because I wanted to be an FCAMP because I was like, I want to be the best qualified manual therapist. But really what I, it's like, I always say, it's like when you go to play sport, of course, the goal is to kick the ball in the net. But if you're, if the entire game, you're just going to kick the ball at the net and ignoring the rest of your team and they're on the other side of the field, like that's pointless, right? So it's like, even though that was the goal, it's all of this other teamwork and the lessons that you learn from being on the team and on the field that really I carry still today. Mm-hmm. I, I love that you said that. So Emma, you're going to, you'll, I think you'll appreciate this too. So we are trying to have a conversation with my nine-year-old about the importance of being a teammate in hockey. And my dad had said, you have to read and react. And my son's like, what? Like, just like that. And I'm like, okay, let me put it in nine-year-old language. 
you have to know where to be when you don't have the puck, right? Like you have to know where to be when you don't have a relationship with that client. You have to know where to be. And what I love the most that you've identified here is the fact that you've identified a gap in the industry and you solved a problem, right? Solopreneur, right there, right? Entrepreneurship, right there. And then you just continue to keep searching for bigger gaps to fill. And, and again, what's so impressive is that it really comes back down to, yeah, there's an entrepreneur component here too, but it also is your ability to start and solve problems for people that never really had an an opportunity to be in a culturally sensitive environment in a trauma sensitive environment. It's really impressive, but if you stayed just the course of training, you wouldn't be here. No, exactly. And for me too, it's, for my own experience with pregnancy and postpartum, obviously it was a huge part of it is like, okay, I know all this physiotherapy stuff. I don't know anything pelvic health, but it was even not even just the pelvic floor stuff. It was the coaching aspect because nobody recognized, like, listen, I will tell you, if you go to a typical pelvic health physiotherapist who just graduated and just took courses, they will tell you to do your exercises, 10 reps, three times a day, every day of the week. And if you have ever been a new mom, you would know that that's unrealistic and unreasonable. Actually, even if you're not a new mom, like who's going to do that? And so even, even just like logically, these things are not logical. I'm like, great. The research says that, but you don't exist in a bubble. You're a whole person dealing with Again, maybe birth trauma, emotional trauma, fights with your uh, spouse, your mom, mother-in-law. Like there's so many other variables. And so I, for me, I treat the whole person. And I think that so few people are used to having a medical provider or a healthcare provider seeing them as a whole human. They're used to walking in and being seen as the prolapse client, the back pain client, just the injury or the problem. And so they associate so strongly with whatever's wrong with their bodies. I've created a space where I'm like, I see you as a whole human. And this is just one thing that you have, or one thing that is that your body's experiencing. And even just that mindset shift and how I approach them helps them feel safer, helps them feel less fearful of their problems. And so from that coaching perspective, it's physiotherapy, but it's a lot of that coaching aspect as well, which I think if more physiotherapists take on that role, I think we'll actually see true behavior change because trying to convince someone to do their exercises is not going to work, but trying to convince them or educating them on why this is important or strategies to weave it into their day when they're, they've got a baby attached to them for eight hours of the day. I think that is more realistic. So that's, I kind of taught all the things that I wish someone told me that I learned through my own experience. And, um, it was isolating. I had postpartum depression. I was anxious, Um, And at that time, I didn't even recognize it. I just thought that that was normal because you don't know, I didn't have anything else to compare it to. And now I have a better ability to recognize my clients who have anxiety or depression or rage and psychosis. And these exist. They're very common. And so when someone's scared of their back pain, is it their back pain or is it the lack of sleep combined with the anxiety plus they're they're not on their meds because they're breastfeeding, right? Like there's so many other, other things. So um, I love what I do. And I, I started off with actually Emma, when we worked together in, I, I worked with you for coaching yeah. in I think it was November, 2020, right? Yeah, it was 2020. I was thinking about that today. And like, I had my son September 29th, 2020. Yeah. So like he was, it was fresh. December. It was December. He was, it was December. Like, he was yeah. Four weeks old. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He was four weeks old. And then in January, I ran my first group coaching program. And at that time I hadn't even thought, oh, this is going to be my business. Like I was like, this needs to happen now. I have this like desire to do this. I know that I, I also had actually a friend who was very depressed. She didn't tell me this, but I knew she was. Um, and she was a high level athlete pre-kids and she'd had her son during 2020 and was pretty depressed doing not great. And so that's also actually what helped me do this program that my postpartum return to exercise program. Cause I was like, I want her in it. I know the impact I can make on her life. And like, I'm not even exaggerating. Like the, over the eight weeks, she was like a new person. She's like, Oh my gosh, I feel like myself again. And I'm like, this, this needs to be out there in the world. So I took that program. I did that. I did a few iterations of that. And then I realized, you know what, I'm going to include that type of coaching style in my one-on-one work. 
Um, this year, I ran a few workshops, online workshops to see how I like that because I like teaching in groups as well. Um, and yeah, I feel like I've become less fearful of like trying new things because I think you need to just try stuff to see what works and what doesn't and what you enjoy. Yeah, I love that so much about you. Like I just, I I think something that's also been a really common theme in conversations that we have had is that notion of like serving a past version of yourself and seeing, living living it, seeing the gaps and then, you know, helping somebody across the bridge faster. And that is something I see you doing in like spades um, and letting it start where it needed to start and trying things and letting it expand. And I think something that's really interesting is all of the different ways you are showing up, you know, with your education and background as a physio, but letting it expand beyond that and, and not just wearing your physio hat. And I just wonder if you could speak to, you know, trying some of these new and different things that maybe aren't happening in Mm. mainstream physio world. Even, um, I don't know if it was last weekend or maybe two weekends ago, you know, showing up at that community fair. Yes. Uh, Oh my gosh. So I was like, First I, was, first, I was like, okay, who's actually going to stop at the physio booth? They're going to be like there for their cookies and their trinkets and their Christmas things. But um, <laughs> I was one of the most popular booths. I'm not kidding. Like I had a pelvic health <laughs> jeopardy. And like, you know, you forget sometimes when you're in the online world that like, I'm actually good with people. Like, you know, like I actually, you know, I can, I can talk to people. Like I, it's funny because you forget that pandemic and you're like at home all the time. And so I was out in the community. There were people of all ages and the kids of this generation, like the 10 year olds, 15 year olds. I'm so impressed. They know so much about their bodies. They're not ashamed. They want to learn more like, and I'm, I'm kind of nervous, right? I'm like, this is where your clitoris is. Like, you know, I'm showing them like the questions and the answers and the parents are like, kind of like peeking in, like seeing, and I'm like, I'm interested in learning too. like, get over here. Like it, it was just yeah. awesome. You know, it was Thank a family event, but it was also people of a lot of people in their twenties, like, you know, maybe they want to have kids in a few years. And like, it was funny. Cause it was the men too. They were like, so what's the best type of birth? Like, how do you help? And I'm like, you're all thinking about this, which I feel like uh. just didn't exist. 10, 15 years ago, or maybe it did, but not to this level. So a lot of visibility in my community. I think as physiotherapists, we do need to be in spaces where it's not just other healthcare providers, because we already know each other. And yes, it's good to build relationships and whatnot, but it's all the other people in the community who have no idea what we do. And like one in three people will leak at some point you know, urinary leakage, constipation is like, I feel like North, if you eat a North American yeah, diet, you probably everyone's constipated. constipated. <laughs> And like one of the questions in the Jeopardy was like, what does normal poop look like? And all the kids got it right. And all the adults were like, and I'm like, you're constipated, aren't you? I'm like, here's my card, right? So it's just like (laughs) having these conversations in a non-threatening space. People are out at a community fair, a Christmas market. They're not, they're not feeling afraid of talking about these things. So Mm -hmm. I think recognizing that people will meet you at their level or you have to meet them at their level and their readiness to understand. And the more times you're out there whether it's online or in person, meeting people, the more likely they are going to not just book with you, but also just feel empowered enough to make a change. Because so many people lose hope, right? They're like, I've been constipated for 30 years. This is never going to change. This is who I am. And when you just start introducing like, no, no, this can change. They have to like really internalize that and be like, oh, maybe it can change for me, right? Yeah. And I think I think that because the medical system has taught them that it's, it is what it is. Yes. Right? Um, or maybe not taught them, but just reinforced. It's just like, you know, deal with it, right? Like you're you're not in the worst case of my medical practice right now, for example. Like you're not terminally ill, so you're okay. Yeah. And that's the enforcement. Come to me when it's worse or like- Yeah, when exactly. Yeah. When it's been five days. <laughs> yeah, and shit, it's usually too late by then because there's like a massive tumor in your colon, right? But <laughs> no, that is- It's true though. Yeah. It's true. And like, I feel like physiotherapists have a unique role in- being able to screen for so much and we might not be able to treat everything, but when we're doing that screening, we, like I ask questions about people's sleep, sexual health, food, stress levels. And these are questions that we need to be asking for every single person that walks in, even if they have neck pain. Like if you're not asking about their stress and as a new graduate, I think I found it hard to ask those questions because I was like, I'm a 25 year old. Like, why is this person in their 50s going to feel like this little kid can basically like understand? And 
I always say like, you don't have to understand someone to respect them and treat them. You don't have to understand why their pain exists. You have, of course you do have to understand to a certain level, but you don't have to understand everything in order to actually believe the person and then treat them. So there's sometimes I'm like, I don't get why this person is in so much pain for what they actually have, but it doesn't matter why I don't understand. It matters that I'm actually able to treat them. So, um, yeah, that's, I think, I think for anybody who's a PT looking to expose or increase their exposure to, you know, their community, um, once you start or build networking groups too, there's like a local Willowdale networking event where small businesses got together. We just like connected face to face. And sometimes you do have to be the person taking initiative and you're afraid nobody will show up. Um, and for me, I've realized that I'm not the person to plan these things. It's, it's too, it just works against every grain of like my energy to like be the person organizing, but I love being invited to these things. So I have found the people who organize and I have built relationships with them. And so when they, when events show up, they're more likely to invite me or include me in these things. So recognizing like who you are and if you're not the person to organize, like that's okay. There's, there's people out there who are good at that stuff. Find them. Yeah. Yeah. And you speak to like, what comes through to me is access and, and making it accessible. Like if somebody meets you at a community fair and feels like they can ask you these questions, right? They now not only have an understanding of, of who you are and how you can serve, but that, you know, these services can exist. And I think something you do really interesting is have these like various ways to work with you, right? Yes. You can work, they, people can work with you one-on-one in person or online, but you have some group programs, you have these sort of workshop webinars, right? That are maybe a bit more low ticket, but give people access to information and a professional perspective. Exactly. Like there's so many, everyone can Google and YouTube almost anything, but hearing it directly from a professional is different. And I'm also, part of why I did that is because physiotherapy is often inaccessible for many people without benefits or without a certain level of income. And I understand that, but I also want to make sure that people who can't afford one-on-one care can still get those, you know, wins and those changes, even though it might be slower not always, but sometimes just watching one webinar and their leaks are gone. I'm like, great, you spent $40 and instead of like $500 of physio, right? So, um, and I also have my fitness membership, which is, I created that because I found that physio clients, they'd get better symptomatically, like they're better and then they would self-discharge, right? I created a membership for fitness so that people have progressive fitness to get them to where they need to be, their fitness goals, their lifestyle goals, manage their back pain long-term so that they're not just discharging after their physio sessions are up and they feel good. And then they're back to me every six months. And so not all of my clients do my base fitness membership, but the ones that do, they have fantastic results because long-term they have something to keep them active and there's the accountability and it's also physiotherapist design. So it's not just like some person who took a weekend training course planning a fitness you know program it's there's rehab component to it there's strength component mobility and it's what i do it's what i do to feel good and so i can go to a reggae fit dance class and not hurt myself you know it's allowed me actually in my late 30s now i'm i feel more active and more fit than i did in my 20s when i came out of physio school and i was like my posture was like a c and i was sitting all the time so it goes to show that I think with the right support, people can make so much better progress and physiotherapy alone is often not enough. I do think that people need a more, like you do Pilates, right? You incorporate that movement aspect of it. And I think so many physios that I graduated with weren't athletes. They didn't have personal experience with sport or movement. And I'm like, how are you going to coach someone back to these activities if you yourself don't have that experience? Well, take a course, learn, learn about coaching, learn about fitness, because I was discharged from pelvic physiotherapy, given Kegels and bridges and monster walks. And I'm like, okay, how will I get back to rock climbing? How will I get back to running? Um, Even cross country skiing, like all of these activities. And so when people don't understand the person's goals, and they don't actually understand like how to get them there, I think that's when that's why so much of treatment just fails, and people end up being dissatisfied and self discharging too. So 
And I think it's an interesting piece, right? Like you're not, we're not sort of honing in anybody that doesn't have the skill, right? Like at the end of the day, people have to stop thinking like, oh, I just wasn't good enough. The reality yeah. is interaction wasn't personalized. Yes. Doing a certain degree, you know, a certain mobilization on Emma's L45 doesn't make it personal. Like, in fair enough, it's one-on-one. But at the end of the day, what does Emma need to do? And it's interesting. I'm super glad that you didn't get clamshells. That's at least a step in the right direction for your <laughs> intervention. But the fact is, is how were you going back to rock climbing? And why was that not discussed? Right? Like- there was no hamstring strengthening given. Like, there was no, like, and... Exactly. And I think that what what would happen is like, you know, an ankle sprain, we all have had ankle sprains. It's basic client. We give them the same basic exercises and that's not useful if the person's goal is basketball or long distance running or skating. Like there's so many different activities they can get back to, or even just bending over to garden. Right. And mm-hmm. so when we don't understand the person's goals or we hear it, but we're not actually registering, like this is their goal. We treat them like a standard postpartum client. Oh, you're you're postpartum. You get the standard worksheet. Here you go. And I found it was not personalized and I felt unseen. Um, And again, the interactions were great. There was nothing at all wrong with the physio's personality. It was great. But I just felt like there was that piece that was missing that I really tried my work to not miss because I know how shitty it feels when you're just feeling like, wow, like I'm. I don't know how much more clearly I could say it, like, but my yeah. goals are not being met, right? And and Jim Miller talks about it so well, like, and Emma, he, you know, the what Jim used on the podcast recently, which was physiotherapy with a coaching edge. And if everybody could use that thought process, it would change sort of how we manage and interact and connect with people, right? Because I always, I've been, I told this when I, when I was really young in my career, right? Like you need to create an environment where people would return. So you have the opportunity to get them better. Right. Realize it to the degree that I realize it now. It's like, how do you create an environment? And Emma talked to me all about like creating a safe environment for both the clinician as well as the patient. Right. And, and you hinted on a few things like culturally safe, you know, from a trauma perspective, is that Mm -hmm. environment safe? And if you don't have that ability, what I took away from Emma's podcast last week is find somebody who can, right. Yes. But at the end of the day was for me to create an environment where people felt connected they had trust, they felt safe. And that's what gave me the opportunity to get a lot of people better. But it wasn't necessarily my mobilization, my manual therapy strategy, how many reps I did, because I'll be honest, most of that stuff was underdosed. It didn't even make sense. I didn't understand the difference between Emma going back to X sport and you going back to X activity with you maybe having an eight week old yeah. And and I think that's the part that we need to build into the actual educational system. I agree. Because I don't think it's I don't know now if it's being taught, but I think if people don't I remember every time, how do we treat this patient? Oh, you just do whatever you did in the assessment. You do the same for treatment. And so you're like, okay, so I assess them using goniometry and um measured their range of motion using this. So I just do that for treatment. Like that that's just not good advice. There's, there is a lot you can do for treatment that needs to be clearly laid out for these students, because frankly, they don't, when you're 22, 23, many people don't have the life experience to really understand the challenges of getting older and having medical conditions or illnesses or children. And there's just so many layers to it. So I agree. It needs to be taught in school. Um, And the safety thing too is important is when you feel safer, like I do therapy biweekly for the past couple of years. And it's been the best thing because I feel like when you feel safer as a clinician in your own body, you feel healthy, that energy is going to rub off on the client because believe it or not, whoever, you know, some people are against this word energy and energy work, but we're all sharing energy with each other. And when you have no energy left to give your client, they're going to suck the last little bit out of you. And the next client that walks in is going to sense that. And if they have pain or trauma, they're less likely going to want to share that with you. And if they do dump that on you or share that with you, you're going to go home and just feel like crap. So, you know, it's really important that you as a clinician hold that safe space for yourself and get support for yourself. Um, And then you have to understand that every patient that walks in, they're on their own journey. And some of them will not feel safe enough to share certain things 
or be truthful with why they're actually in pain, uh, maybe for another six months or another year. And if they're meeting you at the wrong time, that might be a failed quote unquote, um, you know, experience of physiotherapy, but maybe it's just a little step in the right direction for them. And so we can't win every patient over, but I find now that like most of the people who connect with me, I don't know whether it's because they already follow me on social media or they've like screened me first or what it is, but like every client that I've had, is just clicking so well. Um, and I was worried about in-person care because in person, you just get whoever walks in through the door, whereas online, they're already like getting to know me on creeping me on social media for a bit. And then they're like, okay, she's cool. I'll work with her. <laughs> on, <laughs> yeah. Which that's why I love my online clients in person. It's a little different because some people will just say, oh, I have physio benefits or, um, I just came because I, someone told me I should, but I think I've gotten a lot better at educating, communicating and like just understanding why that person is here. So yeah, I just, I'm so much happier now in the work that I do and in the environment that I'm in. And I think a lot of it has stemmed from a lot of discomfort beforehand. So if someone's listening and they're like, I hate my job, or I feel really uncomfortable having this conversation with my clients, like it will get better if you move through that discomfort. But if you refuse to try new things or push through that, uh, and what I mean by pushing through discomfort is like, Sometimes you will have to have that conversation with your client about, you know, this might not be the right fit for you, but I know someone who is a better fit. And that might be a really uncomfortable conversation because if you're insecure about your skills as a clinician and you have to admit that to your patient, you might think that that's like a negative thing about you, but it's actually a really great positive if you have the humility to be able to understand that you can't help everyone. There are so many clients that I'm like, Someone's like, do you do BPPV? I'm like, I could, but I won't. <laughs> this person over here is a lot better, right? Um, and yeah, I think that a lot of physios are insecure, in my opinion, like uh, tons of insecurity in physio school. Everyone is generally welly, very pretty active and used to being smart. And then you get into physio school and everyone's smart and everyone's active and everyone's great at this. Everyone's got a great personality. So we come out of physio school almost feeling like, this sense of needing to prove ourselves. Um, and I don't think this is unique to physiotherapy. I think medical system is often like this, lots of ego, lots of insecurities. And I think that that's what really coaching and therapy have helped me is like, let's shed away those layers that we're trying to like stock up to protect ourselves. And let's just be open because when you're open, the clients around you are more likely going to feel open as well. And they're just going to get better faster. And I think something that happens too is you are like able to show up more yourself. Yeah. And when you are able to show up more yourself, you attract in people who like are a match for yes. your energy and for the work you're doing and for your message. And I think it is that process of shedding and yeah, doing some deeper internal work to figure out who you are. And once you yeah. know who you are and you're rooted in that, you can show up as such a clearer vessel for whoever it is. And, and I think, you know, to your point, like taking care of yourself first allows you to be such a better clinician. Mm -hmm. And yeah. parent and friend and everything and, partner, and, everything. <laughs> and just makes life better too like life, life is better and so you know rather than putting all of our focus on helping other people one of the most powerful steps you can take is something to help yourself it mm -hmm. is yeah. yeah i totally agree and I mean, that's been again another consistent theme right like so many people have you know natasha will same thing right is you know i had to invest in myself like not in like invest in another course, invest in me, <laughs> right? Yeah, no need for courses, to be honest. Like I feel like every course that I've taken has made me a better clinician, of course, but none of those helped with who I am. And I don't think there's any fast track to figuring out who you are and what represents you. And especially, this is especially true for people who, like me, who have not been themselves in many spaces, who haven't felt safe or comfortable to be myself Going back to the name thing, if you're not comfortable sharing how to actually say your name, you're obviously not as comfortable as you could be in that space. And so when people aren't, when people can sense that around you, they can sense that you're holding something back almost or, you know, 
or that you're being a little fake or not yourself. So, you know, the more you can kind of work through that and like owning all parts of your story too, to me is important is like, you know what? Yes. You don't have to share every detail with your clients, but you can say, you know what? I also struggle with going to bed on time. So I'm telling you this, but don't think that I'm perfect and I do it all right. Like I think clients respect that when you humanize yourself. Um, Cause we've had, we've all had those doctors and dentists. And I asked my dentist the other day, I'm like, do you ever see somebody without any cavities? Like ever? Are there people like this? And she's like, no, there are some people without cavities, but then they have gum disease. So there's always something. So yeah. So, and I, so I said, I'm like, okay, so why do this is my old dentist. And I was like, so why do you, like, why do you act like all of our teeth are the problem instead of just recognizing that we're all going to have some problems? This is the problem that you have. Cause you know, every time you come in, Oh, you know, you didn't do this. I'm like, no, I floss twice a day. I'm good, but I still have these problems. So it's like the same people who are like, I do my exercises. I have this, but why does my knee still hurt? Well, we are human. And so humans end up having pain or issues or something going on. It's not always your fault, but this is how it is. And this is how we're going to manage it. I think that's a big shift that physios could take is not making people feel like they're the problem. Like everyone's going to have pain at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and humanity, the humanity of it, like it's like- the humanity. Exactly. It's, yeah. you know, and right now what's going on in the world, the stress from the pandemic on, honestly, it's just been yeah. nonstop. And so recognizing that we are humans existing in this world. And so if people are holding so much stress in their bodies, like, are they receptive to what you have to say? And if you want them to be receptive, maybe you need to do some like nervous system regulation work and calming work. And if that's not a skill that you have, there are courses where you can learn that. And so I think that's what's beautiful now is it's not just manual therapy, soft tissue release, mulligan, you know, there's so much more and we can really learn things that better shape our our work, our own work, and also our work with our clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's, it's such a great way to put it. Right. And I think this is sort of something I'm quite interested in too, because I think there's, there's a lot of discussion around when you wear your PT hat, you know, do you kind of sit underneath the regulatory guidelines versus on your coaching hat per se. Right. So maybe just for everybody from that perspective, because I I agree with you, like when we think about a lot of individuals that truly struggle underneath them, like underneath, let's say our, our care as a physio discipline, it's often because we have missed some of those lifestyle factors. Right. And I wouldn't say we have really harmonious interdisciplinary care to the extent of what we would love it to be. But again, you have to have room for improvement, right? You do. Yeah. So how, maybe just for people that are thinking about this, so they do things right, what, how do you, how do you kind of separate yourself when you're doing your assessments and your treatments as a physio versus when you're coming in as a lifestyle coach? So for me, the biggest factor is, am I treating the person or the injury? So when I'm approaching, and I do this for my physio clients too, don't get me wrong. I am I'm doing a screen of like all the lifestyle factors with physio clients. Often I will refer out and I do this with my coaching clients too. Here's a naturopathic doctor. Here's this dietitian, a mental health therapist, because I'm not about to provide therapy and all the nutrition guidance. However, I do think that we do our clients a disservice when we give them no advice because is it true or is it likely that that person is going to go contact three other professionals right after they see you they're probably so busy and it might be on their list but they might not get around to it for six months so in the meantime can you give them some guidance so i know that within our provincial guidelines if you're in in ontario it's more rigid about what you can and can't you know advice you can give someone so i'm much more likely to make that referral and i go one step ahead and i actually make a connection email and say here are some People that you could work with, you don't have to work with these people, obviously, but here's an, a guide so you're not having to sit around Googling and emailing and finding contact information. With my coaching clients, I do a bit more of that um, advice on nutrition. Um, and again, I still think it's important that just like a naturopathic doctor could give movement advice and say, take more walks and stretch your back. If you want specifics, the best person to go is the person with that expertise. But Most people are not pro athletes here who need specific information. They just need some general advice to get them moving in the right direction. And so I do that for my 
kind of lifestyle wellness fitness coaching clients. Um, and yeah, I, with my physio clients, I'm more likely going to treat things like prolapse, leakage, pain versus with my coaching clients, their goals are usually, I want to get back to Zumba again. I want to get back to running again. And so there's more of that movement approach um, there. And all my coaching clients are virtual, whereas all my in-person clients are physio. And so it's very easy with in-person, right? We're doing, we're more likely to do hands-on. And sometimes I actually, I'm like, I wish this person came, came to see me virtually, especially with, for my chronic pain clients. I actually think they should be seen virtually first, at least for the first few sessions so that they learn a bit more um, self-confidence and self they gain self-efficacy because they're like relying on themselves instead of being, instead of going to the 10th professional to rub their back and say, ooh, you've got some bad trigger points here, right? So yeah, that's a long-winded answer, but that's oh, kind of I, how I distinguish it. I love that answer. And something that came up for me as you were saying that was the fact that what I think you were getting to is that people often don't need, people often know what they need to do, They do. right? Whether it's drink more water or have more vegetables, like people know what they need to do. Where they need support and help is the accountability piece and breaking down barriers and things that get in the way and mindset and, and perspective. And, like, and the like baby steps shit. to get there. Yes. Yeah. It's not so much that is it, you know, magnesium or <laughs> that they need, right? It's like if we if we allow people to sort of speak to what they think would help, it's like how as a coach can we just support them in making these changes that they know are good for them? And it's exactly. not always so much about hearing from the professional what needs to be done. And and that sounds like how you're, you know, more holistically serving your people. And I also make, exactly. And I also make sure to let people know where they're doing well. Mm -hmm. And in so many, like, again, going back to the dentist, I don't know how many teeth we have, 32. If 31 of your teeth are doing great and the one has a cavity, like we go in and we're like, oh, I got a cavity again. So I always like to say like, hey, most of you is doing great. You're really strong yeah. here. You're moving well. Wow, your sleep is perfect. So then they're not left leaving the appointment feeling like garbage. You know who does, does not do this well? It's Sometimes it's a hairstylist. They're like, oh, you haven't been here in so long. And I'm like, yeah, I already know that. I finally found some time to come in. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me how many split ends I have. Like, don't <laughs> make the person already, they're already there in pain. Don't make them feel like crap for coming in, right? <laughs> leave them with some positivities and, yeah. you know. I think we're afraid of like building people up too much. Like we think everyone's going to have these massive egos. I'm like, yo, we people are insecure as shit. Like <laughs> let them make them feel better when they walk out of your room. That's like, there's a great, there's like a great social media reel the other day. So it's like, you know, when you start to feel better and someone's like, Hey, you kind of look tired today. And you're like, <laughs> like, fuck off. Like I feel good today. Now I feel like shit. Right? Exactly. So interesting. And I think, and I think you're right. And I think, you know, if we think about why do clients come into our practices, fair enough, knee brings them in, prolapse brings them in. The, the medical system is the medical system. But the reality is, is they have problems that they're looking for an expert to solve. Yeah. And, and I agree with you is I think we need to do a way better job of screening patients. Yeah. Right. Because everybody's afraid. Like I can't, you know, I can't treat that. No shit. You can't treat it. It's not in your scope of practice does not mean you cannot help them uncover that that may be a baby step to resolution, yes. right? And I, and I do this often with you, like, as you were saying too, like, it took me so long to learn how to discuss pelvic health issues with patients as an orthophysio. And yeah. I fumble on it a lot, but guess what? I wasn't satisfied until someone taught me how to do it really well. Yeah. That's what Carolyn and I can build yeah. into my right yeah but then she also exposed me bigger daryl like does your patient sleep no does your patient have stress holy shit everybody has stress right? everyone so, has stress right so we have to really remember that and again these are the things that we don't need to sort of you know reminisce on the the academic system but this is what i think is a huge gap to success because someone wrote beautifully the other day like yeah you may miss some certifications you may actually not have all the you know you know physical skills and tools or whatever we want to call them but if you just focused on really good communication really good connection really good listening and you're really just a nice goddamn person <laughs> you'll help people 
and it's okay like to not know but you got to screen things and i think this is an, I, I think you both have nailed it emma on the safety side because it's uncomfortable to talk about shit you don't know right or you don't feel like you're an expert but it goes back to the insecurity side of things yeah for sure really think about that and where do you start and both of you have kind of proven that you kind of have to start with yourself right and it's not a weakness to actually work on improving yourself yeah and I think that's why like when we collaborate with other professionals even in our field like refer to other physiotherapists I think that actually speaks really highly of you when you're willing to refer to your colleagues because I have I have so many friends and colleagues who are great at like even something like vaginismus it's a pelvic health condition that I could treat but I know people who are way better at it and so why wouldn't I refer somebody if that could give them a better result and I think the we miss opportunities in our screening intake forms and questionnaires to just make that make that the like Hey, in the questionnaire, do you have any, what's your stress like? What's your stress management like? What is your mental health like? Or open-ended questions, right? Um, do you have any problems with your sexual health or wellness? And so if somebody has said NA or none, or, you know, they're unwilling to talk about it, that's fine. But if they share something, you can say, Hey, you know what? I don't treat sexual health, but you should go see a pelvic PT. And so it's a very easy way to have that conversation without you having to stumble upon it in in the actual um, session. Then it also helps people understand that, hey, this person might be a good person to ask about this because they're actually asking me this question right in the screening questionnaire. Um, I can't believe now looking back that in physio school, we weren't taught the value of sleep, hydration, nutrition, stress management. Like those are the factors that ultimately get people better, not like which mobilization we do, right? So yeah, I, I hope things have changed, but I don't know. I haven't been involved in this the education system in a few years, so I don't know how much it has changed. Yeah, I I do think the conversation is changing. I mean, even just based on the conversations we've had here, yeah, there are more and more people who are holding space for this conversation and changing their philosophy and changing their practice, which will then at least in my mind, at least be modeled for people. Um, and, and as you know, I always hope that people can find mentors like yourself who are yeah. different and have this more holistic approach. And, and I think it, it just shows the opportunity that still exists for our profession, which I think is exciting. Like, yes, it can, can sometimes feel daunting. Like there's so many issues and it's really exciting that we still have this growth potential. And we're, I think it's so untapped how physiotherapists can show up in the world and surf and, and, and create change. So we have one last question that we ask everybody who comes on the podcast. And I'm so interested to hear this one from you. Um, if you were to go back and give a past version of yourself a piece of advice, mm -hmm. would you tell her? Hmm, that's a really good question. I think just simply you've got this. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I spent a lot of my life second guessing myself or feeling like, I need to work harder to prove myself. And I think a lot of that comes from being an immigrant as well. Like that's a clear like ooh, culture shock. And, you know, I was, I was the nerd like in India. I mean, I'm still a nerd, but like I was really smart and I came here and being smart isn't cool anymore. It's being athletic is cool. And you're a nerd if you're, if you're too smart. And so I spent a lot of my like teenage years trying to like figure out my footing, prove myself. And then I realized in my twenties, those behaviors were learned. And so if I could just go back and be like, you've got this, it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. um, and just like reassure that past version myself. And I think now I'm at such a good space. Like if you even asked me that question a year ago, I think I would have answered it totally differently, but knock on wood, I'm in a good space mentally <laughs> right now. And I feel like um, that's what I would say for anyone who's younger, you've got this, it's going to be amazing. okay. Amazing. Oh, thank you so, so much. You dropped so much wisdom here today. I I was so excited for our conversation. This has been on our calendar for what 
eight weeks now and I've, I've been counting down. I hope you have the best holiday. Thank you. Soak it all in. Um, enjoy, enjoy. And thank you for how you show up for this profession and, and in all spaces. And thank you both for having me and being mentors in this field and leaders in this field. Um, there's tons of podcasts on how to treat issues and best do this and that. And I think it's really amazing that you two have a podcast where you're discussing these types of things that actually better not only our profession, but our own well-being. And I think a lot of physios can benefit from this. So I'm excited to have this conversation and share this with my audience too. And um, to see what you two continue to do out in this world. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. And and let me let me do my best. I mean, I want and I want you to critique my ass on this one. Okay. So, <laughs> I'm ready. So for what now? Like almost a decade, I've called you Surabi instead of Surabi. Did I do it? Yeah. Yeah. Surabi. Yeah. Yeah. No, Surabi. Yeah. You did it. But actually, I was thinking about when I met you because I think you were a TA when I was in my second year of PT school. That was in 2010, 2011. So like literally 12, 13 years. Isn't that insane? Over a a decade. But also like you look (laughs) the exact same. It's kind of both of you. Like I'm like, literally like you can't see the bottom down. (laughs) <laughs> the, the head looks the same. <laughs> that's, that's the same but i can shape it but yeah, I can feel it. yeah the key thing i would say and, and about it, i know we're over time but one of the things that i'm thinking about there's so many like key pieces here that we almost need to have a follow-up session on ways that we can help i don't maybe influence is the wrong word but create insight into curriculum development because at the end of the mm, day I would love that know there's competencies right that we have to meet but I still think there's a bit of an old guard mentality and there's lots of research coming out and papers coming out about how do we improve transition to practice yes. and I'm tired of like private practice is business like it's just it's not like so is public sector is business and we have zero like very little control versus at least in private practice you're kind of involved in the transaction but we've all kept identifying areas that we could actually improve success. So how do we do that? And a lot of it is about coming to us at the clinic level. Well, guess what? We also don't have a lot of time. So then how do we then share that knowledge? So I think it'd be really cool to do that, to sort of get an expert panel on this podcast and just share your journeys. Like what would have made an easier transition? Still not easy, easier potentially, or how do we say you have for even better success? Because I think we have this talent in the industry and we won't go into the rabbit holes of all advocacy right now, but I just want to say before we, I'm super proud of what you've done. Knowing you as a PT student, hearing your journey too about that insecurity that I didn't understand, the cultural challenges that I didn't understand. Um, And I think those that listen to this are going to actually learn a lot from this and you should be very proud of what you've done. I give you huge kudos. That's really sweet. Thank you so much. That means a lot coming from you because you've known me for so long. Um, And yeah, to anyone listening to this episode, if you want to reach out or want to talk about any of this, I would love that. I obviously very passionate about this. uh, You are the passionate physio. I am the passionate (laughs) physio. I I wasn't creative enough to think of any other name. So when I was starting my Instagram, I was like, I'll call it that. And that just stuck. Um, But yeah, I would love to like, I'm visioning for 2024, just some kind of like space container course or something where I can help people with cultural competence and sensitivity in our field because so many people know the term but they don't actually know how to put it into practice and there's some actual skills you need and um, some learning and unlearning that needs to be done and we're I think about the average PT client who comes in and they're usually white and they're usually cisgender and you know so who are we missing there? We're missing a lot of people. And if you just think financially, we're missing a lot of potential money from people who would be coming to us. So for people who are in private practice, I feel like this would be really a good type of training. So that's what I'm kind of planting the seed for in 2024. But uh, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. But yeah. well, we'll have, we've exposed Emma's expertise to the boot camp community because I needed that because I don't have that skill. As Emma vulnerability, vulnerability. <laughs> I was like, what skill? A boot camp Daryl's skill? Learned, Daryl's learning about vulnerability. Um, but I think even for you, this is something that people have. So we should actually chat about you giving you a platform to actually do a lot of that 
training and teaching. And I'd love to have you come and work with us. Because I think the other thing too is I love to see like there's so many internationally educated PTs that mm-hmm. don't get appropriate opportunity to excel. No. Right. So sometimes too is they almost need to learn too is you know, how do I communicate with colleagues and clinic owners to be more successful? Right. Because yeah. sometimes you're like, I don't want to ask, like I don't want to look like like shouldn't I already know this? Well, no, right. you shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's it's true. And there's also like that medical model of, you know, doctor knows best or like the boss knows best or this person knows best. And like, I will be seen as a failure or whatnot for asking for help. So yeah, I, um, I would love to be part of something like that. I think there's, there's so much room for improvement and, um, yeah, I'd love to help any way I can. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, Emma, I'm giving you anxiety because it's four Oh five and you probably are late for your next meeting. So, all right, guys, (laughs) this was awesome. And I'm I'm gonna have to help Emma after this because I totally made her late. All right, guys. <laughs> great to have you both. I'll see you guys. Thank later. you. Have a wonderful Bye. rest of your December. Bye. Bye. And that's all for today. Thanks for tuning into today's episode and joining us on this journey to get smarter in business and life by learning from the top clinicians in the world. Make sure to connect with me on Instagram at Daryl Yardley, and be sure to follow my co-host Emma at Press Play Physio to stay connected. And also visit us at clinicianlife.com for more resources, articles, and opportunities to participate in the show. We'd love to have you on to share your expertise and insights with our growing audience. Can't wait to see you next week.